wives and mothers back. Romans chapter 1, starting to read at verse 16. The Apostle Paul writing says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek or to the, the Gentile, somebody that isn't a Jew. For therein or within it is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Amen. With the help of the Lord this morning, I'm going to be teaching about being ashamed of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you the wonderful anointing that we feel in your house as we've worshipped you, the sweet way in which your spirit has ministered unto us. And we pray, Lord, that that would continue seamlessly, Lord, as we open your word together. Speak to us those things we need to hear, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul begins his epistle to Rome with a statement that he had been called by God to be an apostle and that as a part of that, that he was separated or dedicated unto the gospel of God. He was desiring to come and visit the church in Rome but hadn't been able to do so thus far. Paul felt a very strong obligation and you'll find this in nearly all of his epistles or at least varying levels of evidence of it but he felt a very strong obligation or responsibility to preach to whatever people he could wherever and whenever he could and the, the verses just prior to our text he said i am a debtor i owe a debt both to the greeks and to the barbarians both to the wise and to the unwise so as much as in me is i am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. He, he felt that he had an outstanding debt or a burden of responsibility to preach to everybody, to share the gospel with everybody. And then he made the statement that we read in our opening text that he was not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. In other words, it had never let him down. He'd never been embarrassed by its shortcomings. You know, if you expect a certain outcome of a situation that doesn't work out we can be a bit embarrassed or if you've prepared what you hope was a really nice meal for guests coming over and it goes badly you're a little bit embarrassed to put it out on the table anybody ever had that experience i know a pastor's wife in another state the first time she had the brother and sister down staying in their home she was making i can't remember what it was i think it might have been spaghetti bolognese and she went to to i think put some corn flour in it to thicken it up and accidentally used bicarb soda instead and her bolognese sauce began to become alive and bubble and froth everywhere and because you know if it was just her family oh that's okay we'll get a pizza but she had the superintendent staying in her house and so she was a little embarrassed possibly even ashamed about what had happened it, they didn't care they all thought it was good fun but we know how that the gospel never lets us down paul knew that he could trust it and he also believed that it was the power of God for salvation for all people. The Apostle Paul was a man who believed in God. He was a man that was raised and educated, highly educated, about God and about His law. And although Paul lived in the nation of Israel and they were, as a nation, far from God, their culture was saturated with the traditions 
of worshipping God, worshipping at the temple, keeping the laws of God. Their whole national identity was woven together with the understanding that they descended from the men they called their patriarchs who were in a covenant relationship with God. And so their nation's identity was tied into the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So it was not a strange thing to believe in God in Israel. It was, in fact, a pretty normal thing. Paul's education focused very much on the law of God, and that elevated him to a high level of prestige and status within that society. But then in the book of Acts, as he was on his way to Damascus, Jesus came along and turned all of that upside down. Jesus has a way of turning things upside down. He has a way of taking all the things that we've carefully put in place and just flipping them up and saying, that's not how we're going to do things. And that's what happened to the Apostle Paul. And so having a revelation now of who Jesus was, that he was in fact the same God that Paul had been serving, but was actually that God revealed in flesh, it changed Paul's life. And he took the passion and the zeal that he'd already had and focused that on serving Jesus and on preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was already a very zealous man. But the Lord took that zeal and channeled it in the right direction. And that, that's all well and good. But in doing so, Paul paid a high price. His status vanished. His prestige ceased to exist. And he began to suffer persecution from the very people that had previously held him in very high regard. The people that had said, oh, he's, you know, he's a very wise man, very educated man, a man with a great future, and he's possibly going to be a leader and a ruler. The same people that had been his colleagues were now persecuting him and would have loved nothing more than to see him die. When you read Paul's life after his conversion, you will read of imprisonment, you will read of whippings. In fact, the Apostle Paul said that he received 40 stripes five times. 40 stripes save one. They used to take one off just in case they got the number wrong. How very kind and merciful of them. Five times he was whipped. Five times. He was beaten with rods. He was, they tried to kill him with stones. He was shipwrecked. He was dragged before various rulers and judges and being challenged and criticized and persecuted. It seemed like it was his daily life. But such was his conviction about what he believed. So powerful was his experience that he was still able to say very boldly that he was not ashamed of the gospel. I wonder if we could go through what Paul did and have that same strength of conviction, have that same determination that we weren't going to turn to the left or to the right. I can't even imagine being whipped once, let alone five times and 39 goes at a time. I can't even imagine that. Amen. His life in many ways, since he'd been converted, had been made miserable with opposition and suffering. That doesn't really fit in with the modern day view of God wants you to be blessed and healthy and wealthy and wise and have a big house and drive a big car and have a lot of money in the bank and have your best life now. Paul, Paul missed that part. It seemed like since he'd become a Christian... Everything went wrong, not went right. But he understood enough of the power of the gospel 
that his sufferings did not shake him. They did not cause him to give up. He got discouraged. You can read his epistles. There were times when he was down. He wasn't one of these artificial plastic smile, always on the mountaintop people. He had dark days. He had struggles. He had things that opposed him that he went to God and said, you've got to take this out of my life. And the Lord said, no. So he he was not living in some fantasy land. He knew the struggle that he was in. But he still said that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. He still said it's the only way that God can reveal his righteousness in and through the lives of men and women. And we are not righteous of ourselves. In fact, the Bible's very unkind when it describes our righteousness. It says it's like filthy rags, but it says that when we obey the gospel, his righteousness is imputed or imparted or transferred to us. And the only way that happens is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Paul did his best to communicate and to impart a very similar conviction and passion to Timothy. If you want to turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1, we may look at a little bit of scripture today. 2 Timothy chapter 1. I'll try to get all you men home with enough time to clean the bathrooms and take care of the kitchen mess. the ladies laughed and all the men went oh do I have to do that do I here is wisdom clean the house before your wife comes home 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 8 Paul writing to the young man that he referred several times to as his son in the gospel and in 2 Timothy it's right at the end of Paul's life he said be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord nor of me his prisoner. But be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us, called us with a holy calling, not according to our own works, but according to his own purpose and grace which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death, and has brought life and immortality to light. How? Through the gospel. Whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Paul made, he was not confused. He knew that his suffering was directly connected to the gospel. He, he wasn't trying to work out what he'd done wrong or why God didn't love him anymore. He knew that his suffering was connected to the gospel. But he said, Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. Amen. This epistle challenging Timothy to hold on, to not be ashamed, to not give up or to be distracted or to be willing to endure persecution was not written from a place of comfort. It wasn't written from Paul having gone through a lot of hardship and now being in a place of ease and retirement. He was in prison when he wrote this epistle. 
and he was looking back at his life which ever since his conversion had had some struggles in fact when you read the very next verse verse 15 tells us he said to timothy you know that all they which are in asia are turned away from me this is not a story of success after success after success this is a man who knew what it was to suffer for the gospel but in the midst of all of that he still said i'm not ashamed Even though I've been mistreated, misunderstood, misrepresented, I'm not ashamed. Why was he not ashamed? He said, for I know who I have believed. I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded. Paul had made up his mind that it did not happen one way or another. He knew the God that he believed in and he would not be shaken from that foundation. Amen. We need to know who we believe in we need to know why we believe it amen in mark chapter 8 let's turn there mark chapter 8 verse 34 mark 8 and 34 says and when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also he said unto them whosoever will come after me let him deny himself take up his cross and follow me for whosoever will save his life shall lose it but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels the same shall save it for what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation Of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. That's a pretty sobering passage of Scripture. If we're ashamed of him and his word in this generation, that he he doesn't tell us it's easy. It's an adulterous and sinful generation. He said, but if we're ashamed of him in this generation, he will be ashamed of us. That's a terrible outcome. Imagine that, Lord, I'm here. And he's like, oh, turns away. He's ashamed because we were ashamed of him. Let's get down to some practical levels. Let's, let's consider some reasons why people become ashamed of the gospel. First thing on my list is we can become ashamed of the gospel when we worry about offending people. Paul said to the Corinthians, he said, we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews, a stumbling block. And under the Greeks, foolishness. A stumbling block is a source of offense. About being offended. Offending people should never be our goal. Being offensive with the gospel is not pleasing to God. I've heard people say, well, I told them they want to go to hell. That's up to them. You ought to be ashamed if you've ever said those words. Yes, we have a responsibility to tell people, but that's, there's a wrong way to be right. The goal is never to offend people. And if we use the gospel in an offensive manner, our understanding is poor. However, having said that, the message that says you need to repent of your sins or you will be lost for eternity is going to offend. The gospel will offend people. When people are challenged with the idea that just being a good person 
is not enough, you're going to strike a nerve. You're going to cause people's pride to flare up. But I'm a good person. What's a good person? What's a good person look like in the sight of Jesus Christ? Our society is obsessed with not offending anybody and has the idea that we can all be whoever we want to be. Amen. The message of the need for repentance is soon, if not already, going to be classified as hate speech. To tell somebody that they're, they're a sinner and they need to repent is going to be hate speech in the eyes of the world. The gospel will offend. They were offended at Jesus. They were offended at the apostles. They've been offended at the message of the gospel ever since. But it will offend. And we, we should not like to offend people. But sometimes we're a little bit ashamed of the gospel because we're too worried about offending other people. The gospel must always be packaged in love. There's, there's wisdom in how we handle the gospel. The book of Proverbs says that he that winneth souls is wise. That doesn't mean that the more souls you've won is a measurement of your wisdom. That means that to win souls, you need to use wisdom. Jesus said, if you follow me, I'll make you fishes of men. Anybody ever gone fishing and never caught anything? I, I don't usually go fishing. I go bait drowning because that's what normally happens when I go. I just drown bait, no fish get on the hook, and we go home. It's a nice, relaxing time, but... Because fishing is a craft. Fishing takes skill. It takes knowledge of tides and bait types and fish types and all those kind of things. It takes a skill that you learn. Winning souls takes some skill. Many of us can testify of how when we were first born again and filled with the Spirit and that fresh desire and zeal, we told everybody we could without a lot of wisdom just bang 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 whoever we ran into sometimes the lord uses that but after a while we learn hey that maybe wasn't the best approach now the other extreme is we don't say anything because we're trying to be wise that's a cop-out but we have to preach the gospel in love but you have to understand that it will offend people amen and if you've got to offend somebody to save them You've got to be willing to do that. You can't be offhanded about it. You can't be deliberately offensive. But the goal is to reach the soul. Amen. Another reason we can be ashamed of the gospel is because we're more concerned with pleasing man than pleasing God. Whose reputation matters most to us? Ours or God's? My reputation in my social group more important than the importance of the gospel again we're in a politically correct generation that is addicted to approval addicted to approval people post things on social media and then spend the rest of the day checking to see how many people like their picture or like their comment and we laugh but we know it's true because they are addicted to the approval of others and some of them will even get really upset and depressed because they didn't get many likes or many reposts or retweets or whatever it is, that whatever form of social media you're in. That's the world that we're in. And if the world around you approves of you and your lifestyle consistently, you ought to be concerned. James said, if you're a friend of the world, 
you're an enemy of God. So if everybody around you in society approves of everything you do, you may need to check your spiritual temperature. I'm not saying you go out of your way to be offensive and weird and different and you know, look for people to make fun of you. That's not what we're talking about. But if we're completely comfortable in our society, something's not right. We ought to feel uncomfortable in the sin that surrounds us. Amen. Nobody likes to be ridiculed. Nobody likes to be mistreated. Nobody likes to be rejected. Whatever the environment is, family, friends, work, school, neighborhood. But when you get, you know, when you get asked to do something on the job that's dishonest or go somewhere with people from work you shouldn't go, it's awkward. It's uncomfortable. And when I, when I was working at the restaurant, I, I went for my interview. I remember very, very clear. sat down with the head chef and we talked a little bit of, about the industry and bits and pieces. And, and I told him from the start, I said, I've come to Perth. We'd been in WA about two years at that point. And I said, the reason I've moved to Western Australia is so I can help out in my local church. I said, so if you're going to want me to work on Sundays... I, you know, I don't want to waste your time. I, you know, I'll let you see the next person. And uh, the Lord was good to me and provided me with a, a roster every week from Tuesday through to Saturday, so I didn't have to work Sundays. But once he'd finished the interview and then later on decided to give me the job, it had spread through the restaurant that there was this God person coming to work there. Some of the questions I got when I started working in that place were amazing. They thought I was a priest. They were asking me all manner of weird I think they thought I had two heads but that's what it's like you're, you're different you're different and the head chef said to me oh he said so, you know sometimes the people in the kitchen they, they might use a little bit of colorful language I don't know where he thought I'd been working for the last 20 years <laughs> I didn't I didn't work in a monastery you know I said it's okay I can hear but their reaction why because you're different and you ought to be different not for the sake of being different but there should be something about us and we should not be ashamed amen bless the lord another reason why we can be ashamed of the gospel is that we can be afraid to that we aren't able to answer people's questions you, there is not a person alive that has the answer to every question. One of the fastest ways that you can find out what you believe is to have it questioned. Is to have somebody ask you some questions. Well, why do you believe that? Why does your church do this? Why don't they do that? Why do they believe in this that's different from that? That's how you find out what you believe. Never be afraid. You've heard me say this before. Never be afraid to say you don't know the answer to a question. There's nothing worse than making up a terrible answer because you're embarrassed to say you don't know the answer. Don't be afraid to say, hey, that's a really good question. I don't know the answer. But don't leave it there. Find out. Study the Word of God. Ask somebody. Be persuaded of what you believe. Because if you attend church and, and you know our church does this and our church does that, but you don't know why you'll be easily ashamed because you won't be able to give an answer. There's a really good example of this in Galatians. You don't need to turn there, but Paul is talking about a time that he had a confrontation with the Apostle Peter. 
And the reason he had a confrontation with Peter was that Peter, being a Jew, was, if you just to give you the background, under the Old Testament law, the Jews didn't eat with non-Jews. They, they ate separately. Now, Peter's had an experience in Acts chapter 10 where the Lord showed him, if I've cleansed something, don't you call it unclean. He's gone to Cornelius' house. Uh, the Lord's, you know, responding to these people. They're being filled with the Holy Ghost. And Peter says, of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. That's Acts 10, 34, I think. And so Peter's getting some understanding, but there's a lot of unraveling going on. Because then what happens after that is, Peter's sitting down with all these non-Jews and they're having a meal. I don't know what Peter was willing to eat by this stage. If Maybe it was the first time he'd had bacon. I don't know. But he's eating with all these Gentiles until, until the Jews came along. Now, when the Jews came along, he withdrew himself and went and sat with the other Jews because he was ashamed of what he was doing. And Paul said, I withstood him to his face. We'd say, I got up in his grill. And I said, you're wrong. You're out of line. You've caused a problem in the church. Because when you read in Galatians 2, the other Jews followed Peter's example. And even Barnabas, who was one of the nicest guys getting around, was caught up in this confusion. Peter had learned something, but he wasn't yet completely convinced of what he believed. He sat with the Gentiles until the Jews came. Then he went, oh, I'm not supposed to eat with these people. If he was completely sold out on what he believed, when they came, he would have said, that's okay. I don't mind what they say. I don't mind what they think. I'll explain what I believe. I'll explain what God has shown me to these people. But he was still unsure. See, that's sometimes why, if we're honest, it's easy to be Christian and God talk in this environment. But then when somebody comes around that's not a Christian, we're all, we can get a bit sort of awkward. Amen. We need to know what we believe. The same apostle Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 3, he said, But if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. Be not afraid of their terror, don't be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Not arrogantly. Not, well, I'm better than you. I'm going to heaven, you're not. But with meekness and with fear. But he said, be ready. When they ask you, well, why do you go to church? Why in the world would you want to go more than once a week? Surely once is enough. Be ready to answer what they say. We need to know what we believe. Amen. And... I know we're all, some of us are newer than others. That's okay. Not everybody's expected to know all the same things. But all of us need to desire the understanding to be able to say, well, I believe this because. I choose not to do this because, and explain it. Again, not not being condemning or judgmental. Just say, well, this is how we live. You'll get some interesting reactions. You know, sometimes when you explain it, you're still going to get an aggressive reaction. Sometimes that's just because people are feeling conviction because they know, hey, maybe I shouldn't do that as well. And your understanding is a good, is a good reason. Amen. Bless the Lord. Sometimes we can become ashamed of the gospel when we're no longer as persuaded of its power like we used to be. Do we still believe? 
that this is the only way to be saved? Are we still sold out on this thing? I don't say this lightly, but I've, I've seen some Christians who are more passionate about a hobby or a diet or a product than they are about the gospel. If we could help people's spiritual health, maybe more than some of the other areas of their lives, it might turn their lives around. Matthew, the Lord said, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Do we still believe in the power of the gospel? Do we still believe that it's the only way to be ready to meet the Lord? Or is it an option? Or we just think, Lord, well, you know, it, was, it really helped me back then, 10 years, 20 years ago. But I, uh, we need to have that same conviction stirring in our hearts like it did when we were first saved. Amen. We lose that conviction, the fire goes out, the love waxes cold. Amen. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Next thing, we can become ashamed of the gospel when we are not really living it like we should. Nothing squashes your enthusiasm to share the gospel like a half-hearted lot that you know is not where it ought to be. You know, I was going to say young people, but all ages. You're sitting watching a movie with a friend that you know you maybe shouldn't be watching. It's kind of hard to witness to them while you're watching something that doesn't please the Lord. It puts you in an awkward situation. Amen. It's hard to bring a hot coal from the altar of the Lord to somebody when you're sitting in a lukewarm puddle. Sometimes it's because we know where our lives are at and where our hearts are at that we're a little bit ashamed to share the gospel. Amen. Bless the Lord. I hope this isn't too strong. I'll be gone for the next two weeks. You'll have time to forgive me before I come back. But we can become ashamed of the gospel when we lose our love for the church of God. We want our friends and our family to be saved. Amen but we're not sure that our church is a suitable place for that to happen I remember reading an anecdote some of you have probably seen it about a man that was carefully witnessing to a colleague at work I think it was his employer or manager or boss and this man finally agreed to come to church with him and as he brought his boss to church he was, he was a bundle of nerves because he was really worried that that particular sister that takes out a hanky when we start to worship the Lord and starts running around, maybe just might calm down. And then that, that, that brother that bursts out really raucously in worship in the middle of the service and as a distraction, he thought, Lord, he was praying, Lord, please don't let these things happen. Please let it just be a nice, calm service and a gentle introduction for my boss to our church. And service started and the worship began, everything was going okay and he's, you know what it's like when you bring a visitor, you're looking around sideways just to see how they're reacting. But all of a sudden, the spirit began to move. And that old sister began to tremble. And next thing you know, her hanky's come out and she's waving it around and doing laps of the building. And he's just like, he's never coming back. And then that brother that he was worried about, you see him, the power of God begins to fall on him and he starts going at it, shaking like a leaf and speaking other tongues. And he's like, this is a lost cause. This man's never going to be saved. And eventually 
the pastor preach the message that he thought was a bit strong and then people came to the altar and, and, and he was just, he was a mess. He thought, I've ruined any opportunity I had. And at the end of the service, he and his colleague went out for dinner or for a coffee and he, he mustered up the courage to say, so what did you think? And his colleague said, I thought it was amazing. He said, it was incredible. I felt something there I've never felt before. But he said, I have one question. The man said, what's that? He said, what was wrong with you? And that's humorous, but it's humorous because we recognize something in it. The very things you're worried about are the things that people need to see and hear. Yes, it may freak them out. That's okay. If they wanted something the same, they should stay home. Amen. But we're, we're worried that they might talk to this particular brother who will offend them or this particular sister who's going to start talking about all of her problems or that the pastor's going to preach one of those messages that makes people squirm in their seats from discomfort. And so we, we want everything to be just right. And we believe they need to be saved and that Jesus is the answer to that question. We're just not sure about his people. The power of the gospel and its saving message is carried by the church, carried by the people of God. It is both the delivery method, it is the nursery where they can be born again, it is the refuge for their souls. And guess what? If you can love the church, so can they. That's where the issue really is. The same body of believers. You see, God has a way of using this mess. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're a part of this mess. <laughs> Maybe if you're brave, you can point again and say, actually, I think you've caused some of this mess. This mess that we call the church of the living God is his vessel. It's his vehicle. It's how he uses us to reach them. And if you want a perfect, calm, neat, everything in order service, go somewhere orthodox. Not happening. Amen. If you can love the church, so can they. And if you love the family of God, it will be contagious to them. Hallelujah. Last thing on my list. When we, we can become ashamed of the gospel when we lose sight of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. When I truly know who I worship, who it is that died for me, who filled me with His Spirit, who holds me in the palm of His hand, can I really be ashamed? Can I really be ashamed of the one that loved me in my filth and reached for me in my filth and in my sin and my wickedness and my shame, picked me up, washed me with his blood, filled me with his spirit. Can I really be ashamed of that? People may not understand. That's okay. They don't need to understand. Well, they do, but their understanding shouldn't dictate how you feel about the gospel. I want to read two passages of Scripture in closing. Hebrews chapter 2.
second chapter of Hebrews to give you some context is addressing the idea that Jesus came in flesh to be our Savior and, and trying to, in many ways, articulate exactly what that meant and how far he was willing to come. And in verse 9 of, of chapter 2, it says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. For it became him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Now verse 11 is what I want to draw your attention to. It says, For both he that sanctifieth, which is talking about the Lord, and they who are sanctified, which is talking about us, are all of one. In his humanity, it says, For which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Jesus Christ is not ashamed to call us family. Think about that for a moment. But Lord, you know my attitude problem. You know the things I'm struggling with. You know my imperfections. You know my flaws. You know so many times I've let you down again and again. I'm not what I ought to be. Still a work in progress. Lord, he says, I'm not ashamed of you. Your family. In his humanity, we are his brethren. Now, let's take that a step further. Flick across to the 11th chapter. Hebrews chapter 11, often called the Hall of Faith, that lists many great men and women of God that serve the Lord by faith. And in verse 16, it takes it up another level. It says, But now they desire a better country. They weren't interested in this world, but they desire a better country, that is, and heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. That just takes it a whole new level. He, he looks at you and I, and he sees the same things that you see. In fact, he knows them better than you do. He knows faults we have that we don't have a clue about. But through his blood, through his grace and the power of the gospel, he is not ashamed to be called our God. He doesn't sit up there, as it were, on his throne and, say, and people say, well, who is your church? And he's like, oh, you don't want to know. No, he says, they're my people. They're the ones I died for. I'm not ashamed of them. They're broken. They need work. I'm working on each of them as an end, one at a time. I'm molding. I'm shaping. I'm fashioning them into my image. But I'm not ashamed of them. Let's stand together this morning.